This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Okay, we are in uh, 1 Peter. We've been studying through 1 Peter. We've got two messages left, and uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and... Um, It'll be the text for tonight. First Peter 5, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are in our midst, and we thank you that you are here because your people are gathered, and when your people gathered, you are present with us in a unique way as we um, worship you as we proclaim the gospel, as we hear and respond to the good news. And I pray tonight that you would help me to communicate um, this, this message, uh, open this text and communicate it in a way that would really serve the, the fine folks gathered here tonight. We all need to hear this word and we pray that you would speak to us and that you would help us to respond to you. And I pray most of all that you would increasingly make us a church like we just read about that those who are clothed with humility toward one another. For we know you resist the proud, you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves tonight and ask that you would speak to us. We need you, and we humble ourselves and ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, last time we talked about 1 Peter was back in December, uh, last year before Christmas and, and all of that, and we ended in verse 19 of chapter 4. And we ended with what we described as really the summary of the whole book, the book or the summary response. The book is written to suffering Christians in Asia Minor, and Peter is writing to these various churches and telling them how to live their lives when they are on the margins of society, how to live their lives when they are resisted by a hostile culture. And the summary to that is really 419. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's really the summary. He said, at the end of it all, when you live in a culture that you, where you are opposed for your faith, where they are being resisted for belief in Jesus and following him, when that is the case, here's what you should do. When you suffer according to God's will, entrust yourself to him. And don't back off, don't hide, continue to live a life of good works, blessing your neighbor, loving others, serving others. 
Be public with your faith in the sense that you are loving and caring and being a testimony of Christ's love to other people. So it really seems like that's the end of the book. I mean, I don't have the mind of the Lord. I don't have Peter's intention here under the guiding of the Holy Spirit. But it seems like that's the end of the book. So after everything we've said, here's the final point. Trust God and do good. Amen. Hope to see you soon. That's the way you would think the letter would end. And then all of a sudden, he transfers into this talk of elders and talk to elders. And not only does he do that, but he makes it clear that it's connected. He says, so... I exhort the elders among you. So, to the leaders, I want to say this. Why is this here? Why does he talk to elders and leaders after just making this great summary of the book, of response to the Lord? Well, I think he doesn't say, so I'm I'm somewhat speculating, but I'm speculating very fairly because... um, because I'm going to talk about the context overall. Think about their circumstance. They are, and if you've been with us over the last three or four months, you know that they, in each week we saw how the people receiving this letter were being resisted, how they were suffering in various ways. And so in the midst of their suffering, um, it is clear that in the midst of a hostile culture, they need one another. The church needs one another, and the church needs care. They need care from their leaders, and they need to walk together directed by God's word. God has designed the church so that there is human leadership, failed leadership, sinful leadership, I mean, not perfect leadership by any means, but that there is human leadership in the church, and that human leadership is especially needed in times of crisis, in times of difficulty, in times of trial. God's people need his word. God's people need his care. God's people need his direction. And one key way that he brings that to them is through elders who are given responsibility as under shepherds to lead the church to Christ by his word. And so even though chapter 4, verse 19, sounds like a conclusion, it makes perfect sense, really, to address leaders who have just been told, the entire church has just been told that they're to entrust themselves to the Lord and do good. It makes perfect sense to address leaders and communicate to them the need for them to be faithful in leading the church for everyone to entrust themselves to the Lord and everyone to be faithful in their culture. So what I want to do tonight is look at what he says here to elders, and I'm going to make this uh, relevant uh, as much as I can to all of us. Um, This message will be a little different. The last one I preached, last time I preached was uh, right after Christmas, and I preached a message out of Psalm 131 about the quiet and contented heart. That sermon was devotional. That sermon was intended to be inspirational. Uh, That sermon was motivational. That sermon was, um, you know, all getting our hearts before the Lord on a regular basis. It was that kind of message. This message is going to be more instructional uh, in nature because that's the passage that we have in front of us. So uh, here we go. Let me talk about this passage, and I hope hope this will be relevant to all of us. First thing I'm going to notice here is that Peter's approach to these leaders Uh, of the suffering church is that he says, I exhort the elders among you. So his approach is exhortation. 
He comes to exhort them, and there's a lesson here for all of us about exhortation. The word exhort means to call to one side, to call to one side. It's, it's making a persuasive appeal. It's not making an authoritarian demand. Now, he, it is a command. I mean, it's, it's written in, a, uh, uh, in an imperative sense, so it is a command, but the approach is not an authoritarian demand, but a persuasive appeal to come along my side, is in essence what he's saying. Come to my side on this. So he doesn't speak as one over them who is speaking down to them. Now, he could do that because look what he says in the passage. I'm a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, which none of you elders are, is the, is the implication. So he's an apostle. He's one who saw the very death, uh, the sufferings of Jesus. He wasn't there at the crucifixion, but he saw the resurrected Lord. And so he is one who is an apostle and has the office of an apostle. So he could be just commanding them as an apostle, I'm telling you elders, but he's saying, hey, I'm like you. I'm an elder too. And so I want to appeal to you as, as one with you, and we're headed to the same thing as well, look, it says, as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. I'm, I'm like you. I'm in the same deal as you. We're headed in the same direction. So let me persuade you about some things. That is a model way, by the way, for any of us in leadership. It applies to elders, or for him, an apostle, but it applies as parents. It applies to you as a Christian employer. Uh, it applies to you if you're a coach or a teacher, that, that, that to identify with people at a point that's like them, which all of us can identify one another as, as, as fellow sinners, here as fellow elders, to, to appeal to come, along my, come alongside me on this. I'm coming alongside you, and I want to invite you, persuade you, urge you to join me in following the Lord. It's, that's what exhorting is. So I just want to point out, that's his approach, though his approach could merely be, I'm an apostle, what I say goes, and we could just have a verse and be done. But he, he doesn't do that. He appeals. He exhorts. Um, and it's important that, that he does that. Uh, it's important that all the church hears this as well, because they need to see what is, they, they need to know what are their elders called to, so that they can pray for their elders, so that they can understand what the elders do, so that they can uh, be responsive to their elders, uh, so that they can point out to their elders personally if they feel like they are out of line on something. But they need to know what an elder is to be doing and what he is to be like. So they all hear what he has to say to the elders. And it's important because the elders are not more important than the rest of the church. They're not more valuable than the rest of the church. But they have influence that's unique. And that's why he appeals to them to lead by example. In a minute, we'll see that. So this passage matters to everyone because they really do influence the flavor of the church by how they lead, who they are, um, and that's how they understand their calling and how the church does. So it's very important that everybody hears it. So here's what I'm going to look at in the next few verses. This doesn't say everything that the Bible does about elders, but I want to, I want to look at what he says here. I want to look at uh, who they are, what they do, why they do it, and how they do it. Who they are, what they do, why they do it, and how they do it. 
the who, what, when, where, why, and how kind of, uh, the, of like a journalist. That's what you're supposed to know. What's the who, what, when, where, why, and how? So that's what I learned from journalism class that's serving me. That's all I remember, but it's serving me at this very moment. Hopefully it'll serve you. So who they are. Uh, number one, he refers to them as elders. I exhort the elders among you. Now, the New Testament uses other terms for these people that he's talking to. He's not just talking to the older people, like people that are over 40, over 50, over 65, over 70, whatever the number is. He's not talking there, but this is an office. This is a role in the church. This is a calling, a a function, a position, uh, an office, we could say, in the church, the elders. And sometimes they're called other things which are actually mentioned here. Uh, They're sometimes called pastors in the New Testament. And so in in verse 2, when he says shepherd the flock, that's actually, uh, that Greek word is, the verb shepherd is where we get our word pastor. Um, so the other word that's used in the New Testament is overseer. First Timothy 3 talks about overseers, it's talking to the elders. And here he says they are to exercise oversight. So there's other terms that are used here sort of as well. But it's basically an overseer, a pastor, an elder. They're all used interchangeably. And so he is talking to this group of people. Pastors are those who lead the church. They're called to lead the church in glorifying the Lord, lead the church in their relationship together to love one another, lead the church in their witness to those outside of them. Uh, It is a calling of leadership for the church. They are to be, the scripture says, set apart for the word and prayer, that they are to give time there so that they can lead God's people. Now, here's the interesting thing about elders or overseers in the New Testament is that we're told a whole lot more what they're to be like than we are what they're to do. So you can't read in the New Testament, you won't find a book of the Bible that says, here's the job description of an elder, like we would have a modern job description. And it lists six core competencies and uh, you know, what, like here's the detailed uh, rundown of what they do. It, there's nothing like that in the New Testament. Um, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, we get very uh, detailed requirements for what are the qu- uh, qualifications for an elder. And what we find in both of those is that uh, it tells us a whole lot of what they were supposed to be like, and it only tells us one thing that they're supposed to do. So what it tells us in those passages that they're to be like is that basically they are to be men, and the scripture does say they're to be men, who are above reproach. And by above reproach, that has to do, the, 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 the character qualities that are listed is it talks about their, their marriage and their parenting, how they manage their families. Uh, it taught, that would be a, a qualification, an example. It talks about their personal lives, how they relate to alcohol and money and anger, for instance. They're not to be violent, for instance. They're to be, have self-control. Uh, various things that are all summed up under the headline, to be above reproach. And in those passages in particular, uh, it only tells us one thing that they are to have in terms of a gifting, and it is they are to be apt to teach, which is really key in the passage we're about to look at here. They are to be apt to teach. This is because the elder leads the church with the scripture. An elder without a Bible has no authority. Elders lead with the scripture. 
Uh, so they must know how to interpret Scripture and apply Scripture because he leads and cares for God's people with the Scripture. And they, they may have other gifts as well, leadership, obviously, administration. There should be wisdom and discernment and things like that to be solid overseers. But that is a, it, is a, it is a Bible-driven service and ministry. They are given to the Word and to prayer. And so they lead primarily with the Word starting first with applying it in their own life as an example. So that's who they are. They are elders, and from other passages, we know they're to have exemplary character, not perfect character, but they're to be an example. Um, And they are to be those who handle the word that must be apt to teach. Now, what do they do? In this passage, it doesn't say apt to teach, but look at what he says in verse 2. To these elders, you are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the exercising oversight could be how they shepherd, or it could be uh, a separate expression, but basically they do two things is what he says here. They shepherd the flock and they exercise oversight. The, the word translated shepherd the flock, as I mentioned, it's where we get our word pastor, uh, and it means to tend sheep, tend sheep. So this is the metaphor that's used in the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament for leaders as well. Uh, David is a shepherd. Moses is a shepherd. uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, But the the elder is is described as a shepherd. That's the metaphor that's used. And that's foreign in our culture. I mean, probably no one in here is a shepherd by profession. Uh, Or probably no one in here even knows someone that full-time is in a pasture watching sheep. I don't, I don't think that's very common for us today. Um, you probably don't read a lot of literature about elders and pastors. Uh, probably don't read books on that. Maybe you have. Uh, I do. Our pastors do. And one of the things that's sad is that in our culture, that, that metaphor is lost. I mean, a lot of the books for, written for pastors today use much more of a business model. So rather than shepherd, it's like CEO, that the pastor is supposed to be a uh, CEO. And I, and I don't want to say that there's not some benefit from learning by common grace from leadership theory and practice in the culture. I'm not saying that there's nothing, that pastors shouldn't learn something there at all. But I'm saying that that's not just a modern model. That's a different model. That's a different model. This is not, their business functions in the church. There should be financial integrity in the church. Uh, other people are involved in that. Uh, our pastors are not writing checks and uh, that kind of thing. We, we have people that do that sort of thing. Uh, so there are even business functions in the church, but that's not what a pastor does. We're not running, uh, though there's business aspects in a church, we're not running a business. We're not producing a product. The shepherd is someone that cares for sheep. If you're a church planter in the literature I often see, that means you help start churches, uh, then it, there's a lot of talk about being an entrepreneur. So pastors as entrepreneurs. I, even, I don't know where I saw this word, so I'm not accusing anybody. I, didn't, I have no idea, but somewhere I saw the word pastorpreneur. And uh, so again, there's creative things. We don't want to be stodgy. We want to, be, we want to build bridges to our culture and not unnecessary walls. Great. But my primary concern is not introducing you to new ideas as an entrepreneur. I'm trying to introduce you to ideas that at the most recent are 2,000 years old. The pastor is to be someone who is shepherding with God's word, not coming up with self-help tips 
or something like that, or business philosophy, or visioneering, but the pastor is to be someone who is like a shepherd. And here's why I say entrepreneur and CEO are not modern uh, takes on an old metaphor. A shepherd was not a respected profession. That's why in a celebrity pastor culture like we live in, and uh, that's often not the pastor's fault, that's often the, the people's fault, as you know, many times it can be. But in a celebrity culture, we like rock star pastors and CEO pastors and pastorpreneurs and this sort of thing. But a shepherd, they really weren't very respected in the society. They were low in the social order. It was not a metaphor of a lofty, powerful position. It's a metaphor that in the very metaphor itself has humility attached to it. So if you're at a party and you say, hey, what do you do for work? Where do you work? I'm a shepherd. Everybody's like, wow, well, especially in modern times, but everybody's not like, wow, that is impressive. Man, I can, I'm going to follow you on social media because you're impressive. No, that guy, it's not that at all. It, it is something that is humble. It's not glamorous or glorious. There are no shepherdpreneurs. It, it is something that is, it, it, is, it is care for sheep. It's working with sheep, which are not glorious, and the shepherd is a sheep as well. Let's be clear on that. Except for Jesus, the shepherd's a sheep as well. But sheep are messy and not glorious, and they need care, as, and the shepherd is a sheep himself. That's where the metaphor really gets interesting. But I suppose it was a valued role. If it was an important role if you were a sheep, then it was important. Because sheep didn't know how to feed themselves, they didn't know how to protect themselves from wolves, they were vulnerable. And so if you're a sheep, a shepherd's really important. And here's another idea. If you own the sheep, then the shepherd who cares for that sheep, that is important, what he does and what he's like. And the Bible tells us that Jesus owns the sheep. He is, John 10, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Peter's also used that same picture of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 25. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. Or in verse 3, where we are right now, in the passage we're in right now, verse 4, I'm sorry. And when the chief shepherd appears. So though a shepherd wasn't culturally a valued kind of a, a role societally, it was important if you were a sheep, and it was also important if you owned the sheep. And Jesus, that's why he's addressing it here. It's important what these people are like because they are caring for the ones that Jesus laid down his life for. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what is it that an elder does that is shepherd-like? Why is that metaphor there? Well, based on so how do they shepherd the flock? Based on what I communicated earlier from 1 Timothy 3, uh, where the only gifting mentioned was to be apt to teach, uh, one of the things, an important thing that, an, that the elder does in the church that Peter is addressing here is they feed the sheep. That is, the elder ministry has as its central core teaching ministry. It is fundamentally a service of teaching. That is primary to the role. 
They don't teach their thoughts. They don't teach their ideas. They teach God's word, which equips God's people to live as disciples of Jesus. God's word is what what feeds the flock because God's word, it rebukes us. God's word encourages us. God's word strengthens us. God's word frees us. God's word trains us and corrects us. God's word edifies us and builds us up. God's word gives us hope. That's what this whole first Peter letter is about, giving God's people hope in the midst of great suffering. And so it is the, the, the shepherding of the flock is the bringing of God's word to bear in their lives so that they are pointed to the chief shepherd, not to the pastor, but to the chief shepherd. They, they're connected to Christ. They know they're confident in the Lord. And that can happen from a pulpit, what's happening right now, but it can happen in a lot of other contexts. It can happen in a classroom. Feeding can happen in a small group. It can happen in a counseling session. It can happen in a hospital room. It can happen over coffee. It can happen in a meal. At a meal, it can happen in a small group. It can happen training leaders. It can happen in a freedom group meeting, as we heard about tonight. It can happen, uh, uh, it can happen anywhere that the elder is breaking open God's word and equipping and training and helping God's people to connect with Jesus. That's the key, to, to connect with the Lord. Shepherds not only feed, but what else do shepherds do? They protect. They protect from wolves, and we see this in the Scripture. Uh, this is kind of what the whole book of 1 Timothy is about. Now, we're in 1 Peter, not 1 Timothy, but the whole book was about Paul writing uh, to younger Timothy and saying, look, take a stand against the people that are teaching false doctrine and trying to harm my people. And not only call them out on it, not only, rev- not only sort of expose their false teaching about Jesus and the gospel, Not only do that, but put elders in place who are able to teach and refute error and train others who can do the same so that the the sheep are protected. Refute heretics is is one of, to, to, to preach sound true, biblical truth. Elders are charged to guard the deposit of the gospel and to bring, at times, loving, patient, redemptive discipline. When, when, when sheep go astray, to bring them back to the fold. When, when sheep go astray doctrinally, believing and teaching untrue things, to bring them back. Or when they, by their lives, live as um, unrepentant believers, wandering off, to bring them back and to help the church bring them back. So they protect the sheep who could wander. The elders often govern, not often, also govern in plurality. That's plural here. It's the elders plural. There's more than one of them because the elders have to help hold the elders accountable. So if there's an errant elder, if there's a drifting, wandering elder, it is their response to correct and to bring that elder back as well into the fold. They work together providing accountability. So shepherding the flock is feeding, shepherding the flock is uh, protecting, 
Shepherd the flock is caring as well. I'm going to look at that in a minute, but uh, it's that as well. But it, it's, it's a word-based ministry from everything we see in the New Testament. They are also to, what does it say in verse 2? Exercise oversight. They, they exercise oversight for the direction of the flock, the health of the flock. They watch over the life of the church. They do not micromanage people's lives through their personal preferences. That's called lording it over the flock. But they manage the affairs of the church. They oversee the health and the life of the church by applying the scripture to the lives of the people in the church. Ed Clowney in his commentary on 1 Peter says, the under-shepherds, the elders, pastors, overseers, the under-shepherds is, uh, the under-shepherd, I'm sorry, the under-shepherd singular, the under-shepherd is not a stand-in for the Lord. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree. He enforces the revealed word of the Lord, not his own wishes. So they provide oversight under the, under the direction of the scripture. They lead the ministries of the church to oversee them, to apply the good news. They exercise oversight of the other leaders and ministries of the church. They exercise oversight by equipping the people in the church to use their own gifts. They're not to uh, dominate ministry. They are to cultivate and release ministry by equipping the church to use and exercise their own gifts. They exercise oversight of the teaching diet of the church, ensuring their spiritual health among the flock. They exercise oversight of the worship, of the community, of the community life of the church, of the witness of the church. Again, they don't do all this. They, they train leaders and empower others to use their gifts. But they do have an oversight type of a view to, to seek uh, health in the life of the church. So that's what they do. They shepherd the flock of God and they exercise oversight. Next, it talks about why they do it. So that's who they are. What do they do? They shepherd and exercise oversight. Why do they do it? Well, first of all, they, do, they, are, they are to do it because they're willing. They're to do it because they are willing. Look at verse uh, two again. Not under compulsion, so shepherd the flock, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. They're to do it willingly. They're not to be motivated by empty duty. The elder isn't to say, well, I just, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've heard people talk about like that. Like I ran from a call to ministry and because God was going to force me to do it. And if I said, yes, I would just live this life. Of force. Well, no, you, sh you would never be serving in leadership if, you, if, if you're doing it out of a dry obligation. That's not what the Bible teaches. They, they aren't to shepherd, in other words, they aren't to shepherd and they aren't to exercise oversight because they have to, but because they get to, because they love the people of God and want to do that. God wants shepherds to love the sheep as he does. That's why in verse four, we get this phrase, and when the chief shepherd appears, it's a clear reminder that the under shepherds are not the shepherds. They're, they're not their sheep. They are sheep, by the way, after all. It's not their sheep. They're not possessing the sheep. It's not their church. It's the Lord's church. And the Lord is the one who laid down his life for the sheep. Acts 20 says that he, he gave his life he shed his blood for his sheep. 
And so the under shepherds must have his heart for the people. Must have God's heart for the people. Not I gotta do this, but the Lord loves his people and I want to have his heart for the people. Now, we all know the experience of our heart not totally being in something and we just gotta do it because it needs to be done at some point. We've all had that experience and the elders have that experience. But that's not to be a lifestyle. That's to be a moment, that's to be a day, that's to be a short season you know, when, when there's just not a heart in it and you're just doing what you have to do. But the lifestyle, the overall lifestyle must be, this is not under compulsion, but this is willingly. Willing service. Now let me say this, the elders, we're gonna see in a minute, lead by example. This is not just something that's true of the elders, this is true of every one of us. No one in the room is to serve the Lord out of compulsion. I've got to. But we want to be at the place where we have the Lord's heart for the Lord's people and we desire to, we want the Lord to change our heart, to get our eyes off ourselves, to get our eyes on others. Listen, if you are attending community group because you feel you got to, I don't think that's probably a really great way to say it, but you, you, you have to. I went to the new members class and they said, part of being a member in this church is attending a community group. So I go, I don't care about the people in it, I don't pray for the people in it, I don't really wanna go, but I just go. If that's your attitude, repent, please, now. Because that's not the attitude the Lord wants you to have. God wants you to be in your community group, he wants to see the people circled up in the family room, and he wants you to look at them and say, these are the Lord's people, and he loves them, and he's placed you among them to contribute something to them and for them. We're not filling slots in children's ministry. Well, we are, but that's not the motive. <laughs> that's a fact, but it's not the motive. So if you're in children's ministry and you're there, I don't want to be here. I, I drop my kids off, so I feel obligated to be here because someone watches my kids, so I guess I got to be here. And I'm just obligated. I'm under compulsion. And is he preaching long? Is it going to be a long night or a quick night? Because I, and, and but we started, this is Sunday nights. Whose idea was this anyway? So we're here on Sunday nights. That's bad enough. None of these people, my kids aren't even in here. I, why am I even in here? I, I'm just here because I got to be. If that's you, please repent and ask for the Lord's heart. It was the Lord who rebuked the disciples when they said, get the kids away from Jesus. He said, let the kids come to me. And he embraced them and loved them. And the reason we're running a children's ministry is because we want to have appropriate material at an understandable level for the children so that they can run to Jesus in what they're being taught. And so we don't want to serve under compulsion. Now, if you don't feel like it and you're on the, on, on the calendar, should you show up? Yes, if I don't feel like it and it's Sunday at 5.30, should I get up here and preach? Yes. <laughs> and there's some Sundays I feel like it more than others for sure. Just like you. So we do need to discipline ourselves to be faithful, but that's not, the heart, the, that's, not on, that's not worship to the Lord. He says to them, look, you are in a suffering environment. It is difficult. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard to be a member of the church. Even associating with the church may bring you greater grief in this context in 1 Peter. So care for God's people, not under compulsion, but willingly, he says. Because these are the people for whom Jesus died. So serve with joy. We need to ask the Lord to give us willing, joyful hearts to usher, to host a community group, 
to serve in the youth ministry, to play an instrument, to lead a small group, to lead an outreach ministry, whatever it is we do, we want to have this attitude, the Lord's heart for the Lord's people. And that's why I love that it says chief shepherd, because we are not caring for our people. We are serving his people. And the elders do that in a special way, unique way anyway. Not a special way, but a unique way. Secondly, they are to be eager to shepherd. So they're not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. This is how, how does the Lord want me to do this? And next, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So they're not to do it shamefully just to get a gain out of it. That's what, what shameful is the motive behind it, to do it for a gain. What he's saying is the elders or the pastors should be pastoring not for a paycheck, but with a heart that says, I am astounded that I get to care for God's people, feed them, protect them, serve them, love them, be among them, teach them. Uh, I'm astounded by that because these are God's people, and there's nothing more precious on the earth to the Lord than his church. The, The New Testament makes clear that elders, at least many of them, doesn't make a categorical statement, but many of them were compensated for what they did. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, for instance, he compares the pastor to an ox, and uh, he says, do not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, the laborer deserves his wages. It's a picture if he's working, treading out the grain, don't muzzle him so that he's unable to eat. Don't make him work without providing food is what it's saying. That work, and he's talking about elders, they are worthy of uh, their wages. So he's not saying it's wrong to pay someone for service. He's saying it's wrong to be motivated by that. That is shameful instead of serving eagerly. So the attitude is whether there's compensation attached to the role or not, I'm eager to serve the Lord. That's what he's saying. That should be the attitude. All service in the church should be motivated by love for God, love for God's people. And while that may be something that starts with the leaders who set the tone, it's true for all of us. It may not be paid, but there can be other ways that we try to get shameful gain, recognition, notoriety. I serve because uh, uh, people, people think more highly of me. I serve because I look better. I serve because I get pats on the back and respect. I serve because, well, it just makes me feel all good about me or something like that. Those are the wrong reasons. It's great to be encouraged. Hopefully, hopefully we're a very encouraging church. So it's great to be encouraged. It's great to feel encouraged using our gifts, but it's ultimately for the Lord and for the people and not for me that I serve. And in this case, for the elders, it's not for shameful gain. I want to ask that you would pray for the pastors. There are, there are four elders in our church. One of them's out of town today, Bob Hughes, Rob Tumbrella, Pete Payne, and myself. And I want to ask that you, you pray for us. And in light of this passage, don't just pray that we would do a good job. I mean, don't, don't ju- I mean it's great. That's fine to pray, but go deeper than that. Don't just pray that we would do a good job, but pray that we serve for the right reasons. Because it is the motive that God cares about. It's not enough. It's not good enough just to preach a message that's true. Well, that was true. Nothing said was out of the Bible. It wasn't heretical. I mean, it wasn't outside of the truth of the Bible. It's not enough just to preach a true message. It's not enough just to lead and plan or to counsel wisely, or it's not enough just to care for the needy or to train leaders or to evangelize. It's not enough just to do the stuff. 
What he says here is the motive must be, it's eager. It's not under compulsion, but willing. It's not for what you get out of it, but it's eager that, they are, that the elders are to be willing and eager. So when you pray for us, would you pray that we're fruitful and that we're faithful and all that kind of stuff, but would you pray that we're fruitful and faithful with the right motive? The glory of God and the good of the people. That's the motive. And while you're praying for the elders, would you pray for yourself that you are willing and eager for what the Lord's called you to do? Because what we're going to see in the next verse is the elders do these things as an example. Everyone else is not exempt from these requirements. They're like, well, I'm not an elder. I can do whatever I want for shameful gain. <laughs> That's not, I'm not an elder. I'm serving under compulsion. I hate it, but at least I'm not an elder, so God doesn't care. No. It, they're modeling, we, I say we, we're modeling, we're called to model something, but we're all to live this way. But please pray for us. That's, I, I've asked for prayer a lot, but studying this this week, man, it's put the fear of the Lord in me for a lot of reasons. Just looking at this puts the fear of the Lord in you. But I just felt like I need to be praying for my heart. Not just, yeah, would you pray that when I do this, the Lord would help me to be faithful in that? Would you pray the Lord to give me wisdom? Yes, but why do I want wisdom? It's the motive that the Lord is after, willing and eager. So that's why they do it. They do it because they're eager, willing to the Lord and eager for the Lord's glory. And lastly, how do they do it? Well, they do it by example. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The elders we see here and elsewhere in Scripture, the elders have an authority in the church very clearly. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders. It also says, because they're going to give an account of their care for you as they watch over your souls. So they're clearly in the Bible, the elders are given an, uh, a role of authority, but they're not to abuse that authority by appealing to their office or appealing and domineering over the church or domineering over an individual in the church. They're not to play the authority card and try to manipulate people to follow them because, well, I'm in leadership and leadership says that they are not to, they're not to drive like cattle. They're not driving cattle, but they're leading sheep and they lead by example that they're to lead by a compelling example, is what it says. So don't domineer over people, but be an example to them. And Peter's doing that right here. He's not domineering over his fellow elders. Now, there is a place to bring sound, to draw a line when someone's crossing the Scripture and make a firm appeal, obviously. There is a place to say, we're not going to do that here because that's not what the Bible teaches. That's false doctrine, and we're not going there. There's a place to clearly do that. There's a place, but that's not domineering. That's being faithful to the Lord uh, with his truth. But they're to lead by example. Their life is to be compelling. And I don't know about you, but I love to follow the lead of someone who loves the Lord, someone who's humbly aware of their own sins and limitations, someone who leads as a servant, someone who has my best interest at heart. See, he's, he's, he's making it clear here that the church will be healthy and will be eager to follow Christ 
by following the scripture as it's brought to bear in their life through their elders when their elders' lives reflect the scripture rather than undermine it so that they have to just appeal to their authority, their role. So please pray for us that we would be examples as well in our lives. I, I really appeal to this. You pray that the kind of things, First Timothy, you could go to First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and read those passages and pray those for us. And this one, pray that, for your, that, that, our, that our pastors would be protected in our marriages and our families. Pray for our kids, that we would lead well at home and that our children would respond to the Lord. Pray that we would be above reproach. Pray that we would walk in purity. Pray that we would avoid greed, that we would give generously. That we, would, uh, that we would pursue unity uh, with one another and with the church. Pray that we would reach out to the lost. Pray that we would encourage profusely. Pray that we would not be men of anger, but men of patience and grace. Pray that we would be like the good shepherd and we would represent him well. And pray that the enemy gains no ground. I honestly, when I say things like every role in the church is equal before the Lord, in my heart of hearts, I believe that. So I've said things over the years, which can sound flippant, I know. I've said things like the person changing diapers in the nursery for the glory of God brings as much worship to the Lord as the person preaching the Bible. I believe that because it's all service to the glory of God. Having said that, which is a true statement, I really do believe that, having said that, the when an, when, a, when an elder goes down, so to speak, it has a, can have a profound effect on a church. When elders go down or when elders um, don't represent the Lord faithfully or when elders don't walk in humility together, it has an effect on the church. And there's nothing, I think our eldership is as healthy as it's been and I don't know when, there's nothing I don't have an announcement to make here or something about my life or one of the elders' lives. I, we're, we're seeking to walk humbly and in accountability and follow the Lord. We've got blind spots and problems, but we're, we're, there's not some big deal going on that I don't know about um, or that you don't know about is what I meant to say. <laughs> well, I hope there's nothing I don't know about. <laughs> but I, I, I do, when I drive by that building in Frisco Square, it puts a fear of the Lord in me, because when there's increased exposure to a church, there will be increased attack upon its leaders. I believe that. And so I do, we're always vulnerable. Every sinner is vulnerable, um, you and me both. But I, I do just appeal for your prayer that as we transition into a context that's going to provide uh, I don't know what's going to happen in our church. We might be smaller over there. I have no idea. But I do believe we're going to have a broader, uh, we're going to be, people are going to be aware of us in a way that they aren't now. And when that happens, uh, the enemy likes to get in and, and affect. So pray for our marriages, pray for our families, pray for our attitudes, pray for humility. Uh, pray that we don't change, that we only grow in godliness and fear of the Lord. Um, please, please pray for us. So I do, I do ask for that, and, and uh, all of us humble ourselves, clothe ourselves in humility. So we're all to lead by example. So he's talking about elders, but as you read this, do you not say, hey, that applies to me too. If you're a parent, you don't domineer over your children. Now, when they're two, that may work. Pragmatically, it's still not honoring the Lord, but it may pragmatically work. You're going to find out if you have little kids, when they get in their older teen years, that doesn't work. When they become young adults, you can't domineer. And so, lead by example. So even as you parent, as I parent, we lead by example. 
We don't, <laughs> so there's, you know, so another, how does that apply? Well, help model something that they can follow by the grace of God. That's what the elder does. That's what the parent does as well. I'm not to scream at them about their anger problem. Um, to appeal, to discipline, to correct, whatever the, whatever's appropriate, to rebuke, whatever's appropriate at their age. But Lord, help me. And when I do blow it and yell at them, which I've done many times, Lord, forgive me and help me to model humility and forgiveness when I, when I fail. So leadership is by example. It, it's, it's whether you're in the home or whether you're in the workplace, leadership is by example is what this ultimately says. And that's especially true in the church. Um, I am going, to, I had some things to say about the next section. Let's see. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Uh, clothe yourselves with all humility toward one another. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Next week, we'll cover that and we'll cover this next section. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. We're going to talk about anxiety next week. Uh, again, I talked about that two weeks ago, but I'm going to talk about anxiety. I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare as well next week because it's in this passage and humility. So I think I want to close with just appealing that you, would, uh, that you would pray for us and that the Lord would help all of us as a church, that he would help us to all model the things that, that, are, that the elders are called to here, that we would all care for one another, that's shepherding, that we would all exercise oversight in the areas that you're responsible to have oversight for, that we would all serve the Lord willingly and eagerly, not because we have to or because we're trying to get something out of it, that we wouldn't domineer over others, but that we would walk in humility and we would be example to those we lead, that all of us as parents or employers or whatever teachers, whatever your role is, small group leaders, children's ministry teachers, G2 leaders, whatever you are in the church uh, where you have responsibility for others, let's do that with a heart that's humble and is seeking to lead by example. And for this, we need much prayer. So let me close this in prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.